This podcast is brought to you by Touch a Life. All right, everyone, welcome to Tal Radio Presents. This is your host, I'm Ken Outerkirk, and each week we highlight an executive that's making a real difference in their community. And I'm really looking forward to speaking with our guest today, Jacob Edmondson. Uh, Jacob serves as the Chief Development Officer for Miracle Hill Ministries, which is located in South Carolina, and they are the largest provider of homeless services in South Carolina. So they have four rescue missions, two addiction recovery facilities, a foster care community, a foster care program, 18 transitional homes, food ministry program, eight thrift stores, and an auto sales operation. And on any given day, they're helping out over 650 people in care. Um, Just a couple stats. In 2021, they served over 3,000 men, women, and children, provided over 10,000 emergency shelter beds, served over 300,000 meals throughout their programs. I mean, wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of uh, uh, that's that's a lot of help that I, that they're giving out to their um, community there. Mm-hmm. But Jacob, just as a way of getting started, great having you, you with us today. But just as a way of getting started, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me. It's an, it's an honor to be on. Um, and we realize we're part of something bigger that God's doing. Yeah. So I. Uh, a father of four little boys. One of them is, uh, we fostered and then adopted through, um, we, we fostered him through Miracle Hill and then adopted. Uh, and my brothers and sisters fostered and adopted his brothers and sisters. That might come out later on in our conversation. That's been an interesting uh, experience. But um, uh, married my high school sweetheart. We've been together for years and years. And I always thought, you know, my when I was, when I was going through um, high school, my father had a, a disease called retinitis pigmentosa, an eye disease. And my intent was always, I was going to be an ophthalmologist, um, wanted to discover the cure to this rare eye disease. And somewhere around college, the Lord just said, nope, I've got other plans for you. And so um, I uh, I went into full-time vocational ministry, thought we were going to be missionaries in Africa, man. And and um, the Lord has other plans. And so he brought us here to, to uh, Greenville, South Carolina. This is home for me. So brought me back home. Uh, and, uh, and I've been serving here, uh, ever since he brought us back to the area and I, I love it, but, um, but I have a heart for ministry. Um, I'm passionate about seeing people who are hurting experience restoration. I, uh, I just have a longing to, to see people whole, you know, so love, love what I get the opportunity to do here. That's awesome. And you know, it's, you really um, made that bridge over to, hey, I really want to help to now I'm helping. And, you know, part of our background here at Tall Radio is that we really want to bring people that are thinking about, you know, how can I help? And it's interesting to come across and speak with people that are, that just said, you know what, life could have taken me in a bunch of different ways and I could have done the nine to five, but I'm going to go this direction and really look out to helping my community in a more direct way. How did you come to, like you said, it could have been a missionary work, which is very good at that's direct work in Africa, but you know, with uh, an operation like this, how did you come to um, be the chief development officer at Miracle Hill? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I keep asking that myself. Um, no, it's funny. You know, the Lord has uh, certain things that he um, he kind of grooms in us that we don't see while it's happening. And then later on, we're like, oh, man, maybe maybe that's why I have that trait or that characteristic. Um, I I mentioned, you know, that I thought we were going to be missionaries overseas. And and uh, I grew up a pastor's kid. And, you know, part of being a, a pastor's kid was you kind of go one of two ways. I feel like pastor's kids do. They get a bad right. rap, right? They're like, yeah. Um, and granted, I have I have a sibling or two that you know, kind of went the opposite way and they've come back. But um, but you have that the one who kind of runs and wants to taste the world. And you have the other that wants to that that uh, and this would be me. I I always wanted to. Um, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to please my father. I enjoyed being the pastor's kid. I, I, uh, but with that comes, Hey, when people speak to you, you speak back to them. You, you love all people. You, you know, you pick up things in ministry along the way, just being a pastor's kid, uh, that, that I find myself using today, just relational skills that I was just taught, you know, when someone spoke to my father my, or my father would seek people out to speak to them because he loved them. Um, so I think some of that is just ingrained in, in a pastor's kid at an early age, maybe. Um, but we thought we were going to be on the mission field. And then when that, when that didn't work out after seminary, I, um, I, we, we came home and I actually was working in the thrift stores for Miracle Hill. I had a little bit of experience with Lifeway Christian stores. If you're, okay. you know, Lifeway still works uh, digitally. They closed all their stores, I think. But um, and and that mixed with church ministry, mixed with this missional desire. I don't know why, but the Miracle Hill said, "Hey, well, let's let's uh, invite this kid down from North Carolina, and and uh, he can serve as one of the managers in our thrift stores." And so through a process, I came down here and I was serving um, as a, as a store manager, and and the Lord uh, had to. He had to tailor me in that that position because, you know, at first I thought, man, I really want to work in ministry, not thrift store, because in my mind, the thrift store was was, uh, you know, was a, a means of revenue for for Miracle Hill. Um, but the Lord kind of there was a breaking process where he broke me uh, and I realized, hey, we're seeing we'll see a thousand customers a week in this thrift store. Uh, what an opportunity to love on them in the name of Jesus. And the Lord just kind of transformed my mind, my heart. Um and I remember one day I was serving, I was serving in the thrift store. It was a Saturday morning and I was reading my Bible. I was running the register. I was the store manager, but I was running the register and a lady came in and uh, she was asking why we didn't charge sales tax as a thrift store. And I explained to her, well, in the state of South Carolina, you don't have to charge sales tax as a nonprofit. And I explained to her all about the mission and what we do. And even though I was working in the thrift store, I wasn't working in one of the, the rescue missions or addiction mm -hmm. recovery or foster care at the time. And, um, and she she seemed to appreciate my my comments and we had a you know a nice exchange and she left. Well, a couple of weeks wait, later, my boss's boss called me and said, "Hey, did you did you speak to this woman uh, so and so?" He said her name, and I said, um, "I don't think so. Did I offend her? Did I upset her? What I say?" And right, he's right. like, "No, you you spoke to her about sales tax." I said, "Oh yeah, I remembered." You know, and he goes, "You know, she was the she's the chair of of the board of Miracle Hill." And it was the coolest experience. You never know who you're entertaining. And she just happened right. to be in the shopping that day. Um, but I think the Lord used that and a couple of other encounters to to um, move me into different positions within this organization. And so um, I came over into donor relations a couple of years after that, and and worked um, have just worked in it ever since. And the Lord's the Lord just kind of moved me through this organization and. Uh, after my my predecessor retired, I I, uh, I moved into this position about about five years ago now. 
Um, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And you don't know how you got here sometimes. You're just, right. My, my experience, though, has been if you have a servant's heart and you're humble and you love people um, and you're really content wherever the Lord would have you, uh, that sometimes he puts people like that in positions of, of leadership. And I'm fortunate enough to be in that position, you know. That's phenomenal. And, you know, it's I, 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 I'm always fascinated by corporate responsibility and finding what really speaks to you as an organization. When you're looking out for, um, and this is just coming off the top of my head, but when you're looking out for potential um, corporations to help Ministry Hill, uh, is it like a carpet bombing approach where it's like, let's just ask everybody and see what happens? Or do you um, specifically target certain types of companies um, to help? Uh, maybe a combination of both. So when we when we have big events, you know, we'll have like a kids ninja challenge event where 450 kids are going to run this obstacle course. And there and there's a little bit of a press splash about it. Um you know, we put out the we put out the call. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor this event, you know, great because it that goes back into operations. But the real corporations, the the organizations that are really getting involved and woven in uh, to Miracle Hill are those organizations that have kind of a a uh, like mindedness or hey, we exist for something greater than ourselves. Um, or you know, in the Christian in Christendom, uh, you know, Christian business owners who are going. Hey, uh, this is not mine. I'm a steward of what God has given me, king and kingdom approach, you know. Um, but there's there's usually a missional connection. And then we get some corporate sponsorships through, you know, the marketing opportunities for companies. But really, it's corporations that have a heart that matches the heart of, of this organization. I like that. I like that. And I am I, just to switch it over a little bit. And it's because I want to make sure that we have enough time to talk about this, because here's a question that I'm up in Portland, Oregon, and we have a homeless problem that's kind of exploded over the last, you know, five or six years where it's really gotten um, out of hand. And it's weird. It's almost like you could see the city changing a little bit. COVID obviously just exasperated that, that piece along with other things. And so I have a lot of friends and we talk about this situation. We all come up with kind of the same conversation where it's like, this is terrible. People shouldn't have to live this way. And, you know, you feel bad for the people in the houses that the homeless encampments kind of end up surrounding. And it, it looks like this giant problem. And so my question that we can't answer that I'm wondering, um, and I, I don't expect you to answer it, but just to give us a better idea of when it comes to someone going from a homeless situation to getting more secure housing. It's mm. such a big problem. Mm. How does Ministry Hill take someone that's basically, you know, at their rock bottom and then get them to a place where they're back feeling good, taking care of themselves and in a secure homing situation? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Miracle Hill has an approach, like I think a lot of rescue missions across the, the country. And that, well, one, let me start by saying this. Usually, well, individuals who find themselves uh, experiencing homelessness, uh, there's a, a variety of reasons. You know, maybe it is some effect of the system or maybe it is circumstantial. You know, I met a guy um, 
at our, our uh, one of our rescue missions while I was serving lunch a few weeks ago who who told me, I said, what's your story? And he he just started telling me, he said, you know, I, 18 months ago, I was working out at a restaurant in Florida that my friend owned and I, I blacked out. I fell out while working in the restaurant and they checked me. I had a brain tumor and they removed it. And then they found a tumor in my neck and they removed it. And I, I lost the ability to like talk and walk and all this stuff. And you're like, what? Like this guy, it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily addiction or mental illness or it was purely circumstantial. Um, and what was crazy is it, he had just, he had just relearned how to walk. This is a young man, maybe mm-hmm. 40 and had given his wheelchair to another guest in our facility that week. And that's powerful, man. He, a believer too, who had recently come to, to Christ in his affliction. And anyway, that was circumstantial, but there is quite a bit of it that is, uh, you know, mental health. Um, quite a bit of it is, uh, addiction or some combination thereof. Um, and the truth is that it's not as easy as, you know, people, people will say kind of that old cliche, well, get a job, you know, they need to get a job. And it's not really just that that's, that's one part of the combination. Um, you know, what we aim to do is when we, if we can get someone in the ship, you know, mm-hmm. um, we run four rescue missions. If we can get somebody in the rescue mission and we can tell them, Hey, first of all, you're loved. We love you. Um, second of all, we're going to hook you up with a counselor and the counselor's aim is to, to triage immediately you begin to triage. And it might be that the person has been waiting on disability and they can't get disability because of X, or they've never had an ID and you can't get this without an ID. Um, or you, you, if you think about all the obstacles that someone who doesn't actually have a place they call their own faces, like for a lot of things, you need a permanent address. You need mail to prove you live somewhere so that you can so just having that, can you imagine living in a tent and trying to get a job when you don't have a physical address? Right. Um, so we, it's holistic. And it's, the tough part is, is that, you know, really the way our, our culture and society is set up, you're not capable of doing all these things with someone in your home. You could, you could take somebody in your home and do it, but the challenges are great. And so these rescue missions that have full-time staff devoted to, hey, I'm, you're going to meet with the counselor today and we're going to assess your situation. Hey, how can we, how can we expedite your disability process? If you, if you can't afford housing because you can't save up money because you're living in a hotel room and it's cost you five times more than it costs me to pay my mortgage each month, uh, how do we address that? Live here, save money here, uh, work a job here. Like you know, it's 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 a long game. It's not it's not you know someone waking up and winning the lottery and everything's okay. Right. Um, usually there are a lot of issues, and amongst those, sometimes it is addiction or mental mm-hmm. health. We want to get them to the the place where they can get help with that life dominating issue. That's amazing, and you know it's uh, it's so tough because it's easy to dehumanize. I think this group, they're at risk and, you know, it's, it's easier to look away than to see someone suffering like that. And so that's why your organization so important is that, you know, you got to have someone reaching a hand to give someone a hand up yeah, um, to get, to get out of there. Do you find that the people that are coming through the program, uh, how do, does it stick? I guess that, I guess that's the biggest thing. It, I, it seems like that, everybody would want that. And are they able to give back? Do you find a lot of volunteers coming that come through the program or are they, uh, are, are they coming from all over? Um, 
Yeah, like that's kind of a multi-layered question. Yeah. One, one, I do think that I think everybody wants that. That's not true. There are some people that are totally content living in that tent under that bridge under that, um, you know, in their car. There's a there are people that are certainly content doing that and content not coming into a rescue mission because within rescue missions, usually there's accountability. You're not able to just stay intoxicated or you can't, you know, like they're the pain or whatever they're going through. Sometimes that accountability rubs up against that. And, and Mm -hmm. uh, they would, they would rather live in a car than get help and see life change. But for those who do walk it out, um, we see a lot of success. We see a lot of people who come out the other end and, and uh, I mean, for goodness sakes, our, our uh, chief executive officer here, he, he, um, was at one point experiencing homelessness, went through our addiction recovery program twice over a decade ago. Um, and so nobody can look at him, at him and go, you don't understand. He, he does. <laughs> um, but so a lot of people make it out and a lot of people end up, if they go through our recovery program, especially kind of wanting to hang back and, and become, you know, get a position in this organization where they can give back too. So we see, uh, we see a lot of people do really well. And sadly, we see we see quite a bit of recidivism as well. Um, so we, uh, I was serving lunch on Monday at one of the missions, and and I saw a guy that I have known here for ten years, man. And he came through the line, and he said, "Hey, you remember me?" And every time we see each other, he says, "Hey, you remember me?" And I say, "Yeah, I remember you." And uh, he'll say my name, and I'll say his name, and um, but he has clearly been dealing with this issue for a long time. He'll get it right. together, and then he'll he'll kind of just slip back into this this pattern and. I think some of that is to be expected and, and, and um, you know, especially if there's some mental health. So one of our priorities here uh, one day in our area is to have more um, what we call SROs or single residency or single resident occupancies. Like we, mm-hmm. we want to have places where people who maybe have mental health issues or they they'll never maybe get married or have a family, but they need a place that's affordable to live in. We want to see more of that popping up so we can have more shelter exits. Right. And I've seen, and this is completely off the subject. This is something that I saw, but um, I've seen some of those uh, tiny home villages where it's that are popping up and with real estate, it's crazy. Um, I don't care who you are getting into a house, getting into an apartment um, is just, it's so much money. And like you said, it's background checks and all these different things. Do you see that as a viable um, solution? Could we see these, uh, could we see these like tiny home living villages uh, popping up and being a conduit to getting people to a more secure place? Is that, is that kind of the next step or where do you see the, where do you see the uh, next step going? Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. Um, And also, you know, we need, we need transitional homes. So that's one of the reasons we, we have these transitional homes where it's, you know, Hey, this is a stop along the way. And so we see some organizations using those tiny homes, like transitional homes, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're not your permanent residency, but they're, they're they're long-term temporary residents. Um, So we, I, I think the answer is it's going to have to be a combination of all of those things. But, but we do, you know, if, if tiny houses are, are the affordable option, there are going to be dozens of people lining up going, hey, I'll take a tiny home. I don't mind. I'm, you know, uh, right. so, yeah, we, we have some people around us who, who are doing that as well. Um, 
I was I was talking with our CEO the other day, and you know, one of the challenges is that even what they're calling affordable housing, you know, when you're talking about median incomes of households, when you're looking at affordable housing, a lot of the folks who who may come through a mission if they're working hourly jobs and they're like even even at what's called affordable housing, like our 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 a lot of our people are below fifty percent of. MDI. And, and so they are, it's still not really affordable for them. Right. And there are some organizations that are trying to get those prices down, but, but it's, it's expensive. The, yeah. the, and, and I think that's been a, a byproduct of COVID and, and um, supply chain issues. And, you know, with the value of homes being pumped up through the roof, the, the thought of someone coming in or a corporation coming in going, Hey, we're going to build affordable housing for these people they're going to lose the shirt on their back like it's mm-hmm. not a money-making business right. which i think a lot of people aren't doing it it's certainly which kind of puts it in the world of uh nonprofits. right um, you're going to lose money on it you know right but god it's just so important and i mean going back to that piece you know you guys have the auto sale uh, project. You have the Kids Ninja Challenge. You have a monster annual fundraising banquet that you guys do every year. Tell us about how, um, uh, you know, th- and you have four kids <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on top of that. With all these programs, um, what are you looking for? Does this always change? Do you have kind of a locked-in set of programs that make um, uh, that make Miracle Hill successful, or are you always trying new things? Tell us about your programs, what you like about them, and what maybe is coming up next. You're, when you're saying programs, you're meaning kind of those events like that. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you generate the revenue for Miracle Hill? Yeah, so most of our revenue is actually not generated through the events. The events are amazing because they're they're big splashes. You know, one of the other events that we do is the state's largest turkey fry down here. We fry over 600 turkeys, and about 5,000 people will be fed the week of Thanksgiving, and it is. It is a <laughs> it is a messy event, and I love it. Every year, it kicks off the start of the holiday season, right. but but uh, it's not just raking in money. Now we do have sponsors, and it it might rake in you know uh, by the end a hundred thousand dollars or something like that, which is amazing. That's life altering money. Um, but the majority of the the resources for this organization comes through. Um, donors from individuals, corporations, foundations, but primarily individuals. Wow. You know, I, I love that quote, many hands make a light load. Yeah. And the, the, one of the things we've been trying to do is just build more and more uh, sustaining donors or monthly donors who go, Hey, uh, sign me up for $50 a month or $10 a month. Um, we've got some sustaining donors that they give $1,500 a month and they serve 20 hours a week in the rescue mission, special human beings. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that's really how we generate the majority of the revenue. But the three big events that we have are the, the Turkey Fry, this Kids Ninja Challenge, where 450 kids will run an obstacle course. And, and it's a peer-to-peer event. So, um, you know, grandparents and parents and friends of family and church members can sponsor these kids to run this obstacle course. Um, that That has really taken off in the last few years. It's, it's an amazing event. It, kids age 4 to 12 can run in that. Um, that that uh, brings in quite a bit for the ministry and new donors. It's it's about getting uh, the message of Miracle Hill out. You know, we've existed for over 80 years here in the upstate and still 
we're a mystery to a lot of the people that that may be moving to the area or have lived here all their lives and just don't know what we do, you know? That's amazing. And, you know, if there are people out there and we're, this is going to be a, this is a global uh, organization with Tell Radio. We're actually based, there's a uh, base out of India that yeah. has a group and this goes everywhere. Um, so I'm going to ask a broad question, then we're going to narrow it down. Yeah. Um, in a broad way, if you are someone that's like, I want to help, I want to help uh, the homeless population in my town here locally. Yeah. If it were you, how would you how would you go about doing it? What What's the best way to make sure that those dollars that you're putting towards something are going to the right place? Yeah. Well, one, if there is a if there is an existing rescue mission in your area, I would I would say. Uh, point people to that and give to that if if it's a reputable organization. Uh, if no such thing exists in your area, uh, there is a there's a resource that I would point people to called CityGate, CityGate City Network. CityGate Network is the nation national uh, association of all these rescue missions of gospel res rescue missions in particular, um, and and it's. Uh, there are thousands of people will come to a convention annually to exchange ideas, talk about how are we serving our guests? How do we, how do we give people world-class uh, treatment in, in a world that that's not the norm? Um, but not only, I, I, we just had a, a meeting uh, in San Antonio this year and um, the executive director of this, this, uh, you know, association of CityGate, he had run into a guy in, in Scotland who runs the Glasgow Rescue Mission. And that guy was there in San Antonio. And so I think there's there's even there's even this international almost um, component that I think is coming. Uh, but I, that's who I would reach out to because they're okay. armed with resources. They there are all kind of, of um, you know, retired CEOs and, and soon to retire CEOs who their job is to, to now. We, our, our former CEO, he literally goes to um, different areas that are considering starting up small nonprofits and coaches them on how to do it. Um, so you could reach out to us and I could connect you with him. His name is Reed Lehman, or you could reach out directly to CityGate. That's what I would encourage people to do is um, give to a reputable organization in your area or consider, consider starting one. That's perfect. And then to bring it in a little bit tighter, when it comes to uh, Miracle Hill, what kind of volunteer uh, opportunities are there? How can someone help? Where can one um, volunteer and a little bit about what they might expect to do? Yeah, we have all kinds of, of volunteer opportunities ranging from, you know, providing transportation for guests who need to get to, you know, driving the bus and dropping people off at their jobs in the morning, something oh, wow. like that, or taking people to medical appointments, providing medical transportation for them to get to their doctor's office, um, things like that, To We need individuals who are willing to come and, and provide breaks at our reception desks at various shelters, Um you know, stuff like that, to sorting food. There's all kind of opportunities. And the way that we promote that is on our website. If you go to miraclehill.org, you can click on the how you can help tab. And when you click on volunteer, our volunteer needs really populate kind of like a, a, you know, a shopping list. You can look on there and go, hey, I, I'm up on Mondays and I, I want to serve. And you can go see what opportunities are available for you that, that might fit uh, your schedule. Um, so there are all kinds of opportunities. And then we have those event opportunities like the turkey fry, you know, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, if someone who's 
even if they're from North Carolina or Georgia or wherever, they can come here still if they signed up and, and volunteer to serve at our turkey fry um, or at another event. But you'll see those on our website, miraclehill.org. Yeah, that's awesome. I really appreciate the time that you gave us and some of that background. It's just really inspiring. And I, again, it's part of the reason that I love doing this job is that finding people that are actually helping the community that's, you know, that's what we're here for. And that that's what we like to hear about. So thanks for joining us today, sharing your story. You guys are doing a great job out there and we really appreciate having you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Ken. You have just listened to Tall Radio Podcast. For more podcasts, visit www.touchalife.org. Thank you.